a young man called his uh, parents to wish them a happy New Year's. Got his dad on the phone. He said, Dad, what's your New Year's resolution? He said, to keep your mother happy. That was fine. They finished their conversation. Mom got on the phone. He said, Mom, what's your New Year's resolution? To help make sure your dad keeps his New Year's resolution. (laughs) I'm going to begin this morning with a confession that I really don't have to make. Now, whether you know it or not, a confession that you don't have to make can get you into trouble. And I'll illustrate it this way. Gary Smalley told this story over 20 years ago. He said there was a young lady in her mid-30s that was unmarried. And uh, the reason she was unmarried is because she had a personal problem. She had killer breath. She couldn't do anything about it. She cleaned her teeth. She'd done everything she could. But every time a young man would get interested in her, he'd kiss her. And when he kissed her, that's wrong. He was gone. He disappeared like my checking account, all right? And so she made a decision that if somebody got interested in her again, that she would not kiss him till after they were married. And so uh, she began her look. Meanwhile, a young man got interested in her. And this young man loved to kiss. And every time she'd, he'd try to kiss her, she'd go, wait till after we're married. Wait till after we're married. What she didn't know is he had a personal problem. His feet stank. Now, he liked to kiss, and she liked to take long walks on the beach. And uh, he wouldn't take long walks on the beach with her for obvious reasons, for they didn't knock her out. And she wouldn't kiss him for obvious reasons. Somehow they worked out their problems, and they got married. It's wedding night. They get to the hotel room, scared to death. When they get in the hotel room, he breaks and runs into the bathroom where he takes off his shoes and his socks and he puts them over by the commode and he sits down on the commode and he begins to scrub his feet. He scrubs them. He takes a bottle of cologne and puts on both of them. He's still afraid. He opens the door, runs out, dies in the king-size bed. Well, you can imagine she's out there sweating bullets. And so when he comes out, she shoots back in the bathroom and she's got two toothbrushes going, gargle a mouthwash. She decides what she's going to do is put a package of certs on each side of her mouth. So now she looks in the mirror, and it's, it's time. So she turns off the light, opens the door, now in darkness. She dives in the big old king-size bed and works her way up where her head pops out from under all that big cover, and she rolls to face her new husband. And with a big smile, she says, Honey, I have a confession to make. And he ever so gently puts his hand over on her face, and he says, Baby, that's okay. I already know. You ate my socks. (laughs) I know. I can't believe I told that either. So my confession that I don't have to make is this. Of all the days, the times, and the messages I get to preach every year, the times that I struggle with most are Mother's Day and Father's Day. 
And the reason I struggle with them most, it's not because I don't love my mom and dad. It's not because I don't love your mom and dad. It's not because I have a bad relationship with them or even my in-laws. It is simply because it seems to me that the day we live in, there is a different demand of our culture versus our Christ. Our culture wants us to be totally sentimental, and our Christ wants us to be totally biblical. And I used to feel bad about this, and you know I read a lot of other preachers' messages, but I found that a lot of preachers began messages just like this, with some kind of disclaimer. In fact, the one that impacted me the most, he said, you know, I've never read a Mother's Day message that didn't have some kind of disclaimer on it, Brother Terry. And he said, and this this message will begin with the same kind of disclaimer, and I'm going to quote him a little bit. He said, the reason that, that I'm giving you a disclaimer is because for some in this room, motherhood was an accident and not welcomed. For others in this room, biological motherhood has never been a possibility. For others, candidly, mothers were not, are not a great memory. And he said, finally, for others, it is because motherhood at best is a difficult task. It's no bed of roses. And then he quoted the, the poet, the Russian poet, Wilhelm Busch who said, to become a mother is not so difficult. To be a mother is different altogether. So with those words behind me last week, and thank you, Brother Terry, for allowing me to be gone last week. You know, we're back to the B team, okay? Thanks for filling in so well last week. Last week as I was gone, it was as much a study break. We enjoyed the mountains, but as much a study break for me and a prayer break it was anything else. I prayed, Lord, would you please give me a word today that would encourage moms, that would assist moms, would honor moms and grandmoms, and would challenge them. And he led me to a message, what I've entitled, The Influence of a Godly Mom. If you will, take your Bibles and turn with me to 2 Timothy, the first chapter. What we're going to read today is about generational moms, a mother and a grandmother, and how they impacted a young man who would literally become the Apostle Paul's right-hand person. Now, I'm going to let you remain seated today as we read this because we're not just going to read it uh, straight through. I'm just going to make a comment about it so that when we get to uh, the message for the day, you'll be up with me. Second Timothy chapter 1, we begin in verse 3. And the Holman Christian Standard reads like this. Paul's writing to Timothy, personal letter. He says, I thank my God, whom I serve with a clear conscience, as my forefathers did, when I constantly remember you in my prayers day and night. Now, can I pause there? Have you ever thought about Paul having a clear conscience? You know, there are things we don't forgive ourselves for, but have you ever thought about that? Paul, by design, went and put believers to death. When uh, Stephen was stoned, Paul was there saying, Go to it, guys. 
Paul made it his lot in life to go from church to church and put people to death. And yet now, under the forgiveness of the Holy Spirit, he can say, I, with a, I serve him with a clear conscience. Let's continue. He's talking to Timothy. Remembering your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. Now, you can find the story of Paul and Timothy getting together in Acts chapter 16 and following when Paul came to uh, uh, Derby and Lystra. And here's the thing. Paul and Timothy had gotten very close. In fact, I've already said Timothy became Paul's go-to man. When the church at Ephesus needed to, return to their first, needed to return to their first love, Paul sent Timothy. And he said, command these people. Get them right. But now we get to the text of our message today. He says, I want to see you so I can be filled with joy. Here, verse 5. Clearly recalling your sincere faith. That first lived in your grandmother, Lois, then in your mother, Eunice, and that I am convinced is in you also. Therefore, I remind you to keep ablaze the gift of God that is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fearfulness, but one of power, love, and sound judgment. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, it's my prayer today that as we hear from your word, that our hearts will be opened. And if we refuse to open our hearts, I pray that you will use the sword of the Holy Spirit to pry it open. That we can hear from you the influence that moms, grandmoms, dads, friends, fellow believers need to be in the life of your children. In your name, amen. <clears throat> there, is very few, there are very few things in life that are as big a blessing as it is to be raised in a Christian home. There is to be raised in a Christian home. For you see, to truly be raised in a Christian home is to be raised not only where you're told about the things of God, but whether you are seeing the example. You're not just being told about the wants, the wills, and the ways of God, but you can see it. And you don't see it just on Sunday. You see it all the time. Well, obviously, this is the type of environment that Timothy was raised in with his mother and his grandmother. I remind you, if you do not know, his dad was a Greek. There's no record of his dad ever coming to faith. In fact, there's conjecture that at this point when this letter was written that, Tim, that Timothy's dad might quite likely have been dead. But whatever, there is no mention that dad made any contribution to this young man's life. Mother and grandmother lived it, showed it, an example for him to see it. They taught it. But what was it that they taught? What was their influence in his life? What did they teach? Well, you find it here in verse 5. Clearly recall in here it is, your sincere faith. They taught him to have a sincere faith. Now, the King James calls it an unfeigned faith. Now, just so people don't think I'm throwing off on the King James Version, it's a very fine version, but how many of you this week in conversation has used the word unfeigned? Most of us don't know what it means. If you look at other translations, it not only is that unfeigned, it's sincere, 
true, honest. In fact, if you look at the Greek composition of this particular word, it literally means undisguised, apparent, a faith that is seen, a faith that is transparent. They gave to Timothy this apparent, undisguised, faithful of his faith. And I want to give to you, as I see from this text, five characteristics of a sincere faith that a godly mom will influence her offsprings. Quite likely in this room, many of these moms have done this. May this serve as a reminder to grandmoms and veteran moms. May May it serve as a teacher to young moms to expectant moms, and to hope to be moms. Let's look at these five together. This sincere faith is a faith that is seen. A faith that is seen. Paul says, I clearly recall your faith. It sticks in my memory. Do you know that we have the best computer? You know where the best computer in the world is? Right between the ears. That's the best computer in the world because every time we see something, every time we hear something, every time we feel something, every time we read something, there's a little line, a little mark drawn in our brain, and the more we do it, the deeper that mark is, and that's how we make recollection. When you put something in your brain, it's always there in your frame of reference for God to pull it back. It seems to me as I read this that that Eunice and Lois made such a deep impact on Paul, on Timothy during those formative years that this sincere, authentic, apparent faith was clear all the time to everyone who saw him. You see, the truth is we learn more by seeing than we do by reading. It's a faith that's seen. In fact, the old adage is true. Actions speak louder than words. As I prepared, Gene, it's great to have you back today, hon, Gene Morgan. As I prepared for Brother Roy's uh, um, service, I spent a lot of time reading those days and was reminded of what St. Augustine said, used it in that service, and this is what he said. He said, preach the gospel at all times. When necessary, use words. He's talking about living out of faith that is seen. How many of you remember Roy Rogers? All the old people. Okay. One of my favorite, one of my favorite albums he ever, he ever put out had on it a, t- a song entitled The Circuit Riding Preacher. When he did The Circuit Riding Preacher, he put a little recitation in there that I love even to this day. He said, Lord, he said, I heard a circuit riding preacher say these words one day, Lord, I'd rather see a sermon than hear one any day. I'd rather one walk with me than merely show the way. The best of all the preachers are the men who live their creed, but to see their good in action is what everybody needs. You see, moms, dads, grandmoms, aunts, uncles, our boys and girls, our young folks need to see this faith. It don't just need to be something they're told about. 
It's not something that happens on Saturday night as we get ready for Sunday. It's not something that just happens on Sunday. It's something that is a part of our life. It is a life-changing experience. And our boys and girls then go into the world, and they know my mom and dad live by faith. They walk by faith. They didn't just take it to church on Sunday. Their lives weren't compartmentalized. A sincere faith is a faith that's seen. It is also a faith that's shared. Paul writes to Timothy, he says, I clearly recall this sincere faith, and it first lived in your grandmother Lois, and then it lived in your mother Eunice, and I am convinced that it lives in you. Think about that. Have you ever thought about what your kids, well, let me say this to you. If you look back in your, in your text, it says, clearly recalling your sincere faith that first lived. You know a better translation of that first lived? That was handed down. That was handed down. Do you know what our children will think is most important, top priority of our, in their lives? Watch this. 90% of the time, it'll be whatever is top priority in your life. Watch this. So, if your top priority is your job, they'll pick up on it. If your top priority is making money, they'll pick up on it. If your top priority is football or golf, they'll pick up on it. If your top priority is recreation, they'll pick up on it. If your top priority is the Lord Jesus and walking by faith, they'll pick up on it. Because true faith is more caught than taught. You see, we take so much time and energy to major on the minor things. I'm not going to ask who has a will. I'm not going to ask who has a will because then everybody's going to go, you better get your will done, boy. You better get, but your will, you know what your will is? It's a way that after your death you can share what you have with those you've left behind. We spend more time writing wills about things that's going to pass away than we do conveying to our families those things that really matter. This is not a game we're playing. Everybody in this room is terminal. Can I say that again? Everybody in this room is terminal. That means one day in some way you're going to pass from this earth. And these 70, 80, 90, 100 years, it's going to be a short blip on the screen compared to eternity. Are you trying to take care of your family, yourself, your friends, just for now or for eternity? A sincere faith is a faith that's seen. A sincere faith is a faith that's shared. In fact, we're responsible. We're responsible for passing along the faith. And I keep hearing we're less than a half a generation from the total pagan generation. Now, if that is true, I wonder whose fault it is. In Deuteronomy, we're told about our faith. 
We're told to embrace it. We're told to take it up. We're told to put it on our doorpost. We're told to talk about it when we're at breakfast, at dinner, at supper. We're told to make it centerpiece in our lives so that we can share it with our offsprings, our friends, even our family members. But it doesn't stop there. If you follow in verse 5, it says, Clearly recalling, that's the faith that's seen. That first lived in your grandmother, that's the faith that's shared. I want you to see verse 6. A sincere faith is also a faith that's stirred. Or stirred up. It says, I remind you to keep ablaze the gift of God that is in you through the laying on of my hands. King James says, stir up the gift that's in you. Now what's it talking about? You know, I very rarely tell you that I can do something really good because it would be a lie. I can do a lot of things okay, but I don't do anything really good. If you don't believe me, you ought to go play golf with me. Since I, since I flipped the golf cart on Friday, you don't want to ride with me, all right? But I'm going to tell you something I can do good. I can barbecue. And it's real technical. I can grill hamburgers and hot dogs like nobody's business. But now I got one of those gas starters. Did it yesterday. I got one of those gas starting things. You press a button and it's there. But that's not what I remember barbecuing being. I remember when we were barbecuing, my dad had put that charcoal under there. And he had light that charcoal. Maybe put a little accelerant on there, but what he really did, he went under there and he'd blow on it and he'd fan that flame. He'd try to get it up into a flame. If he didn't do that, he'd go out. I remember as a Boy Scout, how many times we sat on a creek bank rubbing those sticks together to create a fire. And then when that smoke started, we kind of fan it and blow it into a flame. I remember when I was a fireman. We're fighting a grass fire. We think we got it out. And then God sends the winds of heaven. And all of a sudden, we got a big fire again because it's been fanned into flame. Do you know that's exact? those are exactly the pictures that, that Paul is giving to Timothy here when he says, keep ablaze. Keep your gifts stirred up. Here's the truth, folks. If we don't stir up the faith, you know what happens? It dies. It fizzles out. That's why James says, be doers of the word and not hearers only. When we get saved, we're given a gift. And we're supposed to exercise that gift. We're supposed to stir up that gift so we, so we can become strong in the Spirit. You see, the truth is, the truth is, if you leave your faith alone, now please listen, you can come to church on Sunday and you can leave it right here on this pew. And you know what happened? Your faith will get weak. It'll get anemic, and it'll fizzle out. And yet we're called to stir it up. I'll give you another illustration. All of us have bodies. Hello? Some of us have better bodies than others. You know, I look around this room, and I can tell you some of the men who used to pump iron. Maybe they still do. You know why? Because when they pump that iron, their arms, their muscles begin to work. And the more they work, they grew. 
Some of them didn't pump iron. Some of them had to go to work. My dad told me, he said, son, you don't need any, you don't need any weights. What you need to do is get out on this farm and go to work. Does that sound like your dad? Also. But for whatever reason, when you exercise your muscles, they get bigger. They get stronger. They get more efficient. They get more developed. Do you know it's the same way with that spiritual gift God has given to you? If we're going to pass it along, if it's going to be seen and shared, if it's going to be a stirring up, it's going to be one that has been worked up. Hello? And that brings us to the fourth quality of a sincere faith. In verse 7, For God has not given us a spirit of fearfulness, but of power, love, and a sound mind. It's a faith. That is strong. A sincere faith is a faith that is strong. Now, you look at there, it says, For God has not given us the spirit of fear, fearfulness, timidity. Do you really know what that word is? Transfer, translates better from the Greek? Listen, it is cowardice. Cowardice. God has not given us the spirit of a coward. You see, when we lay that faith where we don't stir it up, we don't develop it, then it becomes a weak faith. Then it becomes an anemic faith. Then it becomes a faith that's dormant. And it's frozen by fear. We're afraid to stand against anyone. And all of a sudden, our opinions have to be Whatever the latest poll has said, what the popular vote takes us to, we're not strong enough to stand against the powers of darkness. We're not strong enough to stand against the power of the opposition. But God has not given us this kind of faith that is a spirit of cowardice. Watch what he's given us. He's given us power and love and sound judgment, power to impact Love to empathize and a sound mind to make right decisions. When our faith is exercised daily, it becomes strong. And that's what God desires for moms, grandmoms, dads, and the rest of Christendom to share with young people, to share with new believers have a faith that can be seen, a faith that can be shared, a faith that's stirred up, exercised, a faith that is growing stronger every day. You know why? Two scriptures I'll give to you. Second Chronicles 17, around verse 9, says this. Now watch. Are you listening? For the eyes of the Lord range to and fro. For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the whole entire earth. You know what he's looking for? He's looking for someone who is strong so he can make his glory known among them. Ezekiel 23:20. The Lord writes, I saw it for a man. That is a person in Bible terms. In Genesis the term man was hung on all of humanity. I sought for a man among them who would repair the fence, make up the hedge, and stand in the gap. 
And you know what the conclusion of that verse was? But I found not a man. It is a sad day when moms have to shoulder some of the responsibility that they're having to shoulder today. And moms are having to shoulder that responsibility, quite honestly, because many dads spiritually are A-W-O-L. They'll help their kids know about sports. They'll help their kids know about hobbies. They'll help their kids know about a whole myriad of things. But they want to leave all the spiritual stuff to mom and the kids. That's okay, moms. They got their day coming in five weeks. But here's what I will say. Mom, have you been an influence as a godly mom? If not, it's not too late to start today. That you exude that faith that's seen and shared, that's stirred and is strong. There is one more quality. And it's the very basis, the very root. That sincere faith that Eunice and Lois gave to Timothy. It not only met these criteria that it was seen and shared and stirred up and strong. But number four, it was a faith. That saved. It's a faith that saves. Now I'm almost done, so let me have your eyes just for a few minutes. As a pastor, my heart breaks these days because it seems to me that we're so soft selling the gospel that we have led a whole generation of people to believe all they have to do is come pray a prayer. And they're good for eternity. The faith that saves begins in heaven. It comes with that urging of the Lord through the Spirit in your heart. When you feel the Lord tugging on you, it's your, it's your opportunity to respond in faith. Remember without faith, Hebrews 11 says, without faith, you can never please God. When the Holy Spirit begins to work inside of you, you come to Him by faith. For by grace, are you saved? Grace is that you're getting what you don't deserve. Are you saved through faith? Put your place in Him for the forgiveness of your sin. And it is a life-changing experience. Don't matter where you've been, don't matter what you've done, you can be like Paul and move to a clear conscience. You sang it earlier. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. It's grace that's brought me safe this far. And grace will lead me on. Perhaps there's a mom here. Perhaps you'd say, you know, I, I really have not been that godly influence. If I really look back honestly, I've not been that godly influence, but I want to be. 
why not nail a stake down today and say, on this day, 2008, I am giving it all to him. But let's not just leave it in the hands of moms. Perhaps there's a dad. You don't have to wait to Father's Day to get right. Perhaps you say, honestly, I've left way too much spiritual to my wife. And God looks at me as a spiritual leader. Listen to me, men. Just as sure as one day I will stand before God about Hueytown Baptist Church during the time that I've been the pastor. Just as sure as I'll stand before God about things we did or didn't do. And I'll give an account for it. You'll stand before the Father about your family. He won't look at your wife. In fact, if y'all are standing there together in my, in my finite, funny mind, and God says, Jamie, why didn't you do that and so? And if Sherry were to speak up, I believe God lovingly and firmly would say, I wasn't talking to you. I was talking to that person I left in charge. Men, it's a high responsibility. Ladies, it's a high responsibility. It's a high task. What will we do with it? Will we just dismiss it? Or will we embrace it? Will you allow Christ to save you if you've never met Christ? Will you allow him to control you if he's never changed your life? Let's pray together.